ask if you will to turn with me to Acts chapter 8. Thank you, Scott and Ben, for leading us this morning, considering the fact that Christ Jesus has suffered in our place, and that's going to be at the heart of our passage this morning. I want to dive right into the text, picking up with Philip and the adventures of Philip, if you will. One chapter here, that's what he gets, and we saw him having gone to Samaria to preach the good news of Jesus Christ and the kingdom of God. And then, of course, we had that incident that we discussed last week of the unbelieving believer, if you will, with Simon, one who had seemingly come to faith but only to realize that his faith was not genuine or real. That did not discourage in any way the apostles. As the text tells us in verse 25 of chapter 8, that they continued to preach the gospel through every village in Samaria. And now we come to verse 26. Verse 26 of Acts chapter 8 tells us, Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Rise and go forward, go toward the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. And he rose and went. And there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. He had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning, seated in his chariot. And he was reading the prophet Isaiah. And the spirit said to Philip, go over and join this chariot. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and asked, do you understand what you are reading? And he said, how can I? unless someone guides me. And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now the passage of scripture that he was reading was this. Like a sheep, he was led to the slaughter. And like a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. And the eunuch said to Philip, about whom, I ask you, does the prophet say this, about himself or someone else? Then Philip opened his mouth, and beginning with this scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. And as they were going along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, See, here is water. What prevents me from being baptized? And he commanded the chariot to stop. And they both went down into the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. And when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord carried Philip away, and the eunuch saw him no more, and he went on his way rejoicing. But Philip found himself at Azotus, and he had, as he passed through, he preached the gospel to all the towns until he came to Caesarea. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your word this morning as we see the conversion of this one who seemingly was unlikely a convert. God, we pray this morning that as we testify in this place that you have changed our lives as well, just as you changed the eunuchs. And God, by testifying to this, may we be drawn again into your presence. Be near us, O God, as your word says, so that today as we look to your word, we are both encouraged and challenged, that we are both called out, Father, and sent for the proclamation of the gospel. God, help us in this place. Move amongst us here. In Jesus we pray. Amen. It's no secret that one of my favorite books that I've 
read many times with my children is The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe from the Chronicles of Narnia. It's got a movie, so probably most of y'all have seen that by now. The Pavinzi children, four of them, were the ones that snuck into this wardrobe to hide only to find this land there called Narnia. And as they come into Narnia, it's snowing, it's cold, and they're befriended by one that is the beaver, Mr. Beaver, as he speaks. And all the animals, seemingly, in Narnia can talk. And so Mr. Beaver is trying to explain to them what's going on. And, and you have this white witch who is looming over all of Narnia with a curse that it's always winter and never Christmas, right? And so here you have this curse that's over it, and they're in fear of this white witch. Mr. Beaver, Mr. Beaver is trying to protect them and teach them. But there is some sense in which these Pavinzi children just they can't quite get it. They don't quite know what's happening. They know there's some danger, but they're not quite sure as they're trying to figure out this strange place that they're in. And then Mr. Beaver gives them one sentence, one sentence that kind of changes everything. He just simply looks to them as they sneak off, and he says, they say Aslan is on the move. Now, once they heard that statement, that line, the narrator tells us, this quote, he says, and now a very curious thing happened. None of the children knew who Aslan was any more than you do. But the moment the beaver had spoken these words, everyone felt quite different. Edmund, who had made a deal with the white witch, felt a mysterious horror. Peter felt brave and adventurous, it said. Susan felt as if she had heard a, a delightful strain of music when she heard his name. And Lucy felt like she woke up to find it was a holiday. All four children had this sensation coming over them. And Aslan, the Christ-like figure in the book, being on the move, brought them all the joy and hope they needed. And that's kind of how I felt this week kind of hearing as we're on in our own uh, society and culture. By all means, many of us as believers, we, we recognize that, man, if God doesn't move in and amongst us, then we're in trouble. If God doesn't do something, if he doesn't do something in some miraculous way, then our society continues to corrode and go in a way that we don't want it to go. It continues to move away from God farther and farther. So that's why when we hear about things that went on at Asbury this week, when we hear about the idea of revival or awakening spreading from place to place to place, it brings us a lot of hope, right? Well, it should. Because of what it says to us is this desperate time where we need God to move, it's that little hint again, God is on the move. Just as it said there with Aslan's on the move and the Pavinzi children felt something different. They felt joy and hope. So it is for us as believers when we see God working in a special, miraculous, glorious way, we can say too, God is on the move. And we pray just as he moves there, he moves here. And our passage this morning reminds me of just that. It's a demonstration of how God is on the move. At a time where it seemed like this fledgling group of Christians were going to be persecuted to the place of death and quiet, God is still moving. 
Here we come off of Simon's false conversion, as I said. And it would seemingly disillusion, disillusion maybe some of these leaders, maybe Philip himself. Maybe he would be a little gun-shy to, to call people to repentance and faith, scared that, that it might mean that, that this someone like Simon would, would come and, and, and say he was a believer only to prove he wasn't. Maybe he should back off a little bit, but that's not what happens here in our passage. In our passage, God is still moving. He's still going. And verse 26 tells us exactly what happens. I want to see two things here this morning from our passage and then a third challenge that I want to give us. First, we need to recognize in our passage there's a supernatural meeting. It starts off this way, right? Verse 26, now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Philip there in Samaria still preaching as it tells us, going from village to village, but now an angel of the Lord comes to him. The road, uh, as, as we see, is, is the angel tells him to go toward the south, the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This road from Jerusalem to Gaza was not a road Jews typically traveled. It would not be one that they would find themselves on. In fact, it tells us for a purpose it was a desert place, which means it was difficult to travel and dangerous from robbers or thieves or others, not close to a city where there may be some authorities to protect you, but out there in the desert where, where you were open to, to whatever violence may come to you. This was not a way that most Jews would go. And so as this angel comes to Philip, he tells him to go there, and it's only by God's direction that Philip would ever go there. Hence the beginning of this supernatural. The Gaza was a, was a city of the Philistines. As we know, if you know your Old Testament, the Philistines obviously were a great enemy of Israel throughout history. And even though we have moved in some ways a good many years forward, a few hundred years forward from the Old Testament passages, still Gaza would be a place that most Jews would not find themselves unless there was a really, really good reason to go there. These had been traditional enemies of God, Gentiles, if you will. And as Philip may have already known, and we should know, though, while it finds him in a place he would never normally go or never not possibly be, when you embrace the gospel of Jesus Christ truly, that often happens. As Philip recognizes here, whenever he embraces this gospel that has come to him and now he becomes one who wants to proclaim it, it often happens that you go where you never thought you would be to proclaim this truth. It often happens that, that you're in a place you never even imagined you would possibly be to proclaim this truth. Many a believer can say, I don't know how I got here. I don't know how I got to this location or to this place. But all I can say is God has brought me here for the purpose of preaching and teaching the gospel. There's a divine appointment waiting on Philip here. A divine appointment with an unlikely candidate. Here it says there was an Ethiopian eunuch waiting for him. We learn a lot about this individual in verse 27. And he rose and went, and there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. He had come to Jerusalem to worship. Again, verse 27 kind of lays out a lot that we can learn about this time. 
At the time that this passage was written, Ethiopia was considered the edge of the earth. It was outside, really, uh, of the Roman Empire. It was south of Egypt in the southern part of Africa. Needless to say, it's quite different than the Samaritans and where he were. The Samaritans were, were considered cousins, if you will, of the Jews, but not the Ethiopians. The Ethiopians were the outside edges. These were truly the Gentiles. If there ever was a Gentile to the Jew, it was the Ethiopians. It was those in these regions. This was as Gentile as Gentiles come, in other words. So this alone, being a Gentile, would exclude him from worship at the temple. It says that he had come there to worship like a God-fearer might. He had heard about the God of, of Israel, and he came to worship him. But only when he came to worship him at the temple, as any Gentile would be, he would have to sit in the Gentile court, not allowed to go in, not allowed to enter into the assembly of God's people. But not only is he a Gentile, he identifies him here as a court official for the queen of Ethiopia, the Candace, if you will. It's what they called all of the queens of Ethiopia, the one who was in charge of all of this, as, as the Old Testament would refer to this land as Cush. This queen of Ethiopia was in charge of all of it, a very wealthy place. And not only in charge of, uh, the, not only a servant to the queen, it says that he kept the queen's money. If you're going to keep all of someone's money and watch over their checkbook, you must be trusted, right? So here is the high-ranking official that even would have been considered uh, well off in, in Roman times, this high-ranking official of the queen of Ethiopia, taking care of her money. This meant something, though. In order to rise to that position in Ethiopia, then you must be a eunuch. You must have done something to prove your trustworthiness and faithfulness. And it's interesting in our passage that this is exactly what Luke focuses on. He simply refers to him as the eunuch throughout the story. Over and over again. He doesn't tell us his name. He doesn't say the Ethiopian eunuch again. He just simply says the eunuch. That's what he's referred to as. And why is this? It's because by Jewish law, because of this physical condition that he had voluntarily put himself in so as to earn the favor of the queen, he was not allowed. In fact, he was forbidden from entering into the temple and the worship of God. Deuteronomy 23.1 tells us this. It tells us that those who have made themselves like this eunuch are forbidden from entering into God's assembly, forbidden from entering into worship. That's even if you had been a Jew. That's even if you had been one who was, who was a Jew. If you had put yourself in this condition as the eunuch, then you cannot enter into God's worship. You cannot enter into that place. Even if you're a God-fearer, even if you're trying to do it, you are, a one, you are one who is set on the outside and cannot come in to worship. In other words, this man in this passage that Philip is sent to is doubly prevented from the worship of God. He's a Gentile, not a Jew. He's a eunuch, set apart, not able to enter into the Lord's assembly. So no wonder the Spirit had to prompt Philip, right? No wonder the Spirit had to say, that's the one I want you to go to. He would have never seen this man and thought, there's a good prospect. 
When we think about prospects in our own church, we think about the ones who have come to us first, the ones who enter in and give us their, their card and their welcome, or friends we may know that have some background that may like what we do. We would never look at somebody like this Ethiopian eunuch, one who, according to God's own word, is outside of the worship of God as a Gentile and as a eunuch, doubly prevented from entering in. There's no way Philip's going to look around the place and go, there's the guy. That's the one I need to go to. But here the scripture tells us, the spirit said to Philip, go over and join that chariot, the one that the eunuch is in. Why is this? Because God is on the move. Because the light of the gospel shines bright, not just for the Jews, but for the whole world, as the scripture says. And with this encounter, the Lord is saying that there is no one that is too far gone for the gospel of Jesus Christ to reach. There's no one outside the reach of the good news of Christ Jesus. There's no one in such utter darkness that the light of the gospel cannot penetrate it. You see, ultimately what's being said here is something vitally important for this young church, this Philip who has come up, this one who's proclaiming. He's saying, the Lord is saying by saying, go to that guy right there. He's saying that the gospel is open for absolutely everyone you come to. No one is too far. No one is outside. No one is in a place where they cannot be reached. The gospel is available to everyone. And that's why I say this is a supernatural encounter because our own tendency is to go to the people that are like us. And our own tendency is to the people we'll go to the people we're comfortable with. But here, Philip had to go down to the south on the desert road with the Gentiles. There's a eunuch, and God says, It's him I want you to share the gospel with. This was a supernatural encounter, especially as the first, right? In Acts chapter 8, the first Gentile convert here. Oftentimes that goes to Cornelius, leaving some to speculate who this eunuch was. But ultimately we see that this eunuch being this Ethiopian was outside it. And God said, no, we're going to bring him in. The truth is, as the Spirit prompts Philip to go over and speak to them, we have to consider this ourselves. We shouldn't need any more prompting. You see, Philip needed. It's the first time. Oftentimes in the first time, you kind of have to give someone a push. But here, as this first time, this becomes prescriptive for us, not just descriptive, that as we offer the gospel, there is no one outside of its reach. No one is beyond it. No matter what someone has done, no matter what their history may be, no matter what is on their rap sheet or what is in their past, the gospel can reach them and change them. That's the truth that we hold fast. And that's the testimony that everybody in this room must hold to. And here that testimony is borne out whenever the Spirit says, go to that Ethiopian eunuch and tell him about me. Now that becomes example for all of us. That no one is outside the reach of the light of the gospel. And why is that? Because we have a wonderful Savior. We have a wonderful Savior. As Philip, as Philip arrived at the chariot, he heard him reading. 
It already told us that he was reading the prophet Isaiah, but as Philip shows up, he hears him reading something. He's reading Isaiah, of course. Surely, Philip may have been nervous. Although, I'll talk about that in a little bit. Here, how am I going to broach this conversation? How am I going to start this thing off, right? He's sending him over here to this one who is doubly excluded from, from entering into the worship of God. And Philip's thinking, how am I, how, what, what's my conversation starter? It'd be, be weird to kind of gum up and just say, hey, what'd you have for dinner? Let me tell you about Jesus. You know, how am I going to get this going, right? Well, what a relief. Because as Philip shows up, there's no conversation starter needed. The eunuch is reading the Bible. He's reading God's word. And not only is he reading God's word, he's reading the prophet Isaiah. And not only is he reading the prophet Isaiah, he's reading Isaiah 53. We've already read some of Isaiah 53 today. And I don't know of a more explicit place in the Old Testament that tells us of the suffering servant who will come and die in our place, take our sins, and he will give us life. I don't know of a place that's more explicitly telling us that in Scripture than Isaiah 53. He's reading it. I'm sure Philip had more difficult situations, but this is not one of them. What is he reading? He's reading Isaiah 53, verse 7 and 8. Like a sheep, he was led to the slaughter. Like a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life has been taken away from the earth. Who is this talking about? Who is this talking about? Do you understand what you're reading, Philip says? How can I understand unless somebody tells me? Who is he talking about here? He's reading the Bible. The primary tool for introducing people to Jesus is God's word. And as you comes, the eunuch said to Philip, about whom I ask you, does the prophet say this is? About himself or someone else? And Philip, waiting for this moment, tells us the scripture. The scripture tells us Philip opened his mouth, and beginning with this scripture, he told them the good news about Jesus Christ. Philip could have simply stayed in the prophet Isaiah. It tells us he started right here and told him the good news about Jesus. He could have stayed right there in Isaiah because if he had gone back to Isaiah 1, he would have told him about the one who's come to wash his sins whiter than snow. Though his sins be as scarlet, he can wash them whiter than snow. In Isaiah 6, he's telling him about the one who has the glory of the Lord and who has sent Isaiah to tell you of himself, the one who has come. In Isaiah Seven, it tells us what the one who will be born of a virgin so that he can redeem his people, born from woman, to redeem them from under the law. Isaiah 9 tells us that this one who come will have the government shall be upon his shoulders and all the nations will have to answer to him. Isaiah 11, this is the one who will come and be a signal for the hope of all people. Even Cush, it says in Isaiah 11, the one who comes will be a signal and hope for your land. Isaiah 40, the one who is the everlasting God and creator of heaven and earth that gives strength to his people, that's the one who's come. Isaiah 42, the one who will come as a servant and will set the prisoners free, that's him who it's talking about. Isaiah 49, the one who will shine his light so bright that his salvation will not just be for the Jews, but for all nations, including the Ethiopians, that's who he's talking about. And then he gets again to Isaiah 53, and 
Isaiah 53, verses 3 through 11, he was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, and as one from whom men hide their faces. He was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed. Could you imagine as Philip is reading this, the hours and the we's belong not just to Philip, but the Ethiopian as well. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed. He was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter and like a sheep that before its shearers is silent, so he opened not his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away. And as for his generation, who considered that he was cut off out of the land of the living, stricken for the transgression of my people, and they made his grave with the wicked and with the rich man in his death. Although he had done no violence, yet there was no deceit in his mouth, yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief. When his soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall see his offspring. He shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous, and he shall bear their iniquities. Could you imagine as Philip reading this, pointing out Scripture after scripture after scripture of forgiveness, of salvation, of hope, of grace, of gospel. He's saying to this eunuch, it is all yours in Christ. It's everything's here for you. And surely after explaining all that Jesus has done and how he has brought salvation to his people and the Ethiopian eunuch can be one of his people. After he explains all of this and how he paid the debt, how he's made righteous, surely he pointed him to Isaiah 56, verses 3 through 5. Let not the foreigner who has joined himself to the Lord say, the Lord will surely separate me from his people. And let not the eunuch say, behold, I'm a dry tree. For thus says the Lord to the eunuchs who keep my Sabbath, who choose the things that please me and hold fast my covenant, I will give in my house and within my walls a monument and a name better than sons and daughters. I'll give them an everlasting name that shall not be cut off. And if it was me and I was Philip, and I'm glad Philip was doing what Philip was doing, but if it was me, that's exactly where I would take him having pointed out the good news of Christ that he died in your place, he took your iniquities, bore them for you. You no longer have to bear them any longer. God in his son, Jesus Christ, has taken care of it all. And now you, even you, the eunuch, can be brought into the family. Even you, the eunuch, can find salvation and not be cut off from God any longer. There's the hope of the gospel laid out for him. My friends, again, let it sink into us that it does not matter who you are. 
It does not matter where you are at. Jesus is here. He has come. The eunuch was excluded by everyone, but not Jesus. The eunuch was excluded in every way, but not by Christ. Jesus had come so even the eunuch can be brought near. And those that hold fast to Christ, as Isaiah 56 says, will receive an everlasting name. In this room, there's no doubt that some of you may feel that you're unworthy to be here because of some sins in your past or something you have done maybe. You feel too dirty, too far gone. Too much outside of God's plan, of God's power. God doesn't want any part of you. You may feel that way. But hear what Isaiah says. Though your sins be as scarlet, he can wash them whiter than snow. And hear what Isaiah says. The light of the gospel shines bright bright into the very darkness of our own life. And anyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. That anyone includes all of us. That anyone includes the Ethiopian eunuch. That anyone includes every single one of us in this room. That anyone who calls on the name of the Lord includes anybody, anywhere, anytime that calls upon him, they shall have life. And that's no small thing. And if the eunuch is the first proof of this, we'll see in the next chapter that you have one who hates God and seeks to destroy his name. God will save him too. Whoever you may be, whatever you may be dealing with, Jesus is enough. He's enough. To display demonstrate his belief in Jesus. The text tells us that the eunuch, as they were going along the road, having heard about Jesus, came to some water and said, see, here is water. What prevents me from being baptized? They came to some water to see it. To display his, or to demonstrate his belief in Jesus, the text tells us that he sought baptism. The word baptize simply means to immerse. Plain and simple. I'm a good Baptist, but that's the truth. It's on our side here. <laughs> simply means to immerse. So here as this eunuch in this desert place, probably coming to a place that, that is the last stop before he heads back to Ethiopia, traveling through the desert, says, here is enough water. Why can I not be baptized? Surely Philip's presentation told him, the eunuch that that was the next step. What's the next thing for me to do? That's what Peter had said over and over again. Faith, repentance, baptism. It's the next step for the believer. It's a step of obedience. We confess Jesus Christ. We believe in our heart. We put our faith in him. We repent of our sins. And next for us is baptism. That's why we call it believer's baptism within our bodies. For those who have trusted by faith in Jesus Christ. And this baptism by immersion, the the eunuch says, I want this now. What is baptism for us then on display but simply this? It is our public profession of faith. 
Oftentimes we, we use language to try to help us, you know, uh, uh, an outward sign of an inward change. But, but surely while that is true, it's deeper than that. It's better than that. What baptism represents is Romans 6 tells us that we are no longer identified as our own, but now we are identified in Christ Jesus. We are buried with him in baptism and raised to new life. It is a testimony that Jesus is ours and we are his. It is a testimony, as Paul says, that we no longer live, but Christ lives in us, that we are united with him. We are trusting in him. The very union that we long for is a union with Christ Jesus who has saved us from our sins, baptism becomes this picture. It becomes this picture. That's why we as a church keep it in our name because we believe, we believe that all of those who profess faith in Jesus Christ must follow him in obedience of baptism so that they can testify to the world that they belong to Christ. They are his. So in this same sense then, this wonderful Savior who has welcomed all of us to salvation and the privilege of following him, baptism becomes that picture that I've trusted in Jesus Christ by faith, repented of my sins, and now I'm following him. Let me show you. I'll be baptized. I'll be baptized. How about you then? Some of you, some of you here may feel like you're too far gone. As we talked about before, Others in here need to take that next step of baptism. If you feel like you're too far gone, understand the testimony of the Ethiopian. Nobody is outside the grace of God. Call upon his name and you too can be saved and welcomed into his family. If you, if you feel like you need to take a next step in this and you've never chased after believer's baptism, well, let's encourage you today that that is the next step for you today. We can take care of this very thing to testify to the world that you have committed your life to Jesus Christ and you belong to him and he belongs to you and you identify with him in his death, burial, and resurrection so that you can live for him every single day. Some of you need to give your life to Christ. Some of you need to follow him in baptism. Whatever that next step may be, today is the day for that. It's free and it's available to you all. But then my last encouragement. We need more Phillips. We, 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 we may have you here and, and, and you feel like you, you're unworthy, you're worthy in Christ. He's worthy. Flee to him. You may not have publicly professed Jesus, so, so follow after him in baptism so the world may know. But let's talk about some of us in the room who have trusted in Christ, who have followed him in baptism. We need you to be like Philip. Now, you don't often hear me say this because oftentimes I'm pointing you, be like Jesus. But here, look at what Philip does. Philip was obedient to go. He got the call from the angel, I need you to go to a desert place, to Gaza. And there is no hesitation in Philip's step. He rose and he went, verse 27 says. God has called us to go and we don't need, before you say, if he would send me an angel, I'll be good with that. We don't need an angel anymore. We have the Bible. We have God's word that says, go therefore and make disciples. We've been told to go. We have a clear direction to go that as we are walking, we must be on the hunt because there's more eunuchs out there. 
There's more people out there that think they're too far gone and they don't know the good news of Jesus Christ. There's more people out there that think they're outside of his blessing and his promises and they don't know. They don't know that his promises extend all the way to them. There's too many people out there that are living in the darkness and they are desperate for the light. We need them like Philip to say, wherever you send, I'll go. Wherever you lead me, that's where I'll go. We need that out of our believers. But not only that, not only is he going, he's ready to run. I love this passage when he says, and the spirit said to Philip, go over and join the chariot, verse 30. So Philip ran to him. I missed that the first time, but it struck me the second time. Here's a guy where he says, I need you to go get that eunuch over there who's an Ethiopian. He's doubly excluded, but go tell him. Philip didn't go, Lord, are you sure? This is going to be hard. How am I going to do this? He ran to him. May we have a heart for the lost in such a way that we waste no time to get to them with the gospel of Jesus Christ. That guy... He's an Ethiopian. Is there someone else around here that could be better, Lord? Philip ran to him. That running represents two things. One, a heart for a lost man who needs the gospel of Jesus Christ. May the Lord build our hearts for that. And two, a belief in the power of the gospel to change anyone's life. When we have those two things together, a heart for those who are outside the gospel and who desperately need it, and a belief that the gospel can change anybody. When we have those two things together, we run. And third, Philip was spurred on to a life through this. Look at what it says. As soon as he comes up out the water, the spirit of the Lord carried Philip away and the eunuch saw him no more and he went on his way rejoicing. But Philip found himself at Azotos, another Philistine city, and he passed through. He preached the gospel to all the towns until he came to Caesarea. If you look in your map at the back of your Bible, if you forgot you have those, you'll see Azotos down here in the far western corner at the bottom of modern-day Israel, if you will, or, or Israel at this time. Caesarea is up here at the top, all the way on the eastern corner. In other words, Philip having been taken down there, starts at the bottom and crosses all of the country all the way to the top. And it says he preaches the gospel in every single town he comes to. He transversed all that he knew of Israel at the time to tell others about the gospel. And here in this picture then, Paul, maybe even thinking about Philip, along with the others who came along, says, how beautiful are the feet that bring the good news of Jesus Christ. How can they hear if they don't have a preacher? How can they hear if they don't have someone sent to them? And how can they hear if you don't go and run with that good news? We need you. We need you. The Lord has privileged to use you just as he used Philip. Just as he used Philip. In this way then, the call of this sermon is clear. If you today don't know Jesus Christ, you can be saved just as Ethiopian eunuch was. 
call upon his name. You're not too far gone. Whatever's holding you back is not enough. The gospel is sufficient. It can change your heart and change your life. He is enough. And there is salvation in no other name. So if you would call upon him today, you too can be saved. And maybe some of you today have have believed in Christ and trusted in him. And you say, he is enough. He is sufficient. I want to follow him. But you've been a little fearful to take that next step to show the world and tell the world of who he is and what he's done for you through baptism. Today's the day that we can help you with that. And you can take the next step to follow him with baptism. And maybe there's a lot of you in this room that need to catch the heart of Philip. That believe the gospel can change everybody. And that believes it has the power to do it. My prayer is that we would be a church that reflects this belief in every single way. Not only as we proclaim Jesus, but as we live for him every step of our life. Let's pray together. Father, help us by your grace and for your glory to follow after you. God, if there's someone in this room today that may be thinking they were too far outside of your reach, God, may today be clear to them that they will never be that far away. That you are right there, closer to them than even their fingertips. That all they have to do is call upon your name and and they can be saved. God, don't let them leave here thinking they're unworthy. For you, Father, have sent your son to die in their place. May they rest in that. Hold on to Christ and trust in him. Maybe some needs to demonstrate, Father, that they believe by following in baptism and letting the world know that they are in Christ and Christ is in them. Today, God, may they not, may they not uh, shirk that responsibility or privilege, but follow after it in that state.